Oh my god. What's happening, Joe? <clears throat> I don't think I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> That's our job. That's what we're here for. Um what is going on in the world? That's what we're trying to cover. As people, you know. Well, people need to understand that, and people who are listening to this show in particular need to understand that they're not insane, that the world is insane. Uh, a lot of people, uh, part of the feeling of uh, that the world, like, that, like, am I crazy or has the world gone crazy? No, you're not crazy. The world has gone crazy. And part of that feeling, or that feeling is amplified by other people in your environment not really, you know, acting crazy, but also not obviously not seeing things the way you see them. You know what I mean? They're all just about, uh, you know, support for Ukraine and and all that kind of stuff. And, and we should put a caveat here before the beginning of the show is that, as we know, we don't have it maybe, but YouTube, at mm-hmm. least I saw it on Twitter, YouTube announced that yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, that they were going to be taking down all videos that in any way minimized atrocities mm. um, and showed any support or lack of support. I don't know which it was. Support for uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine or lack of support for something along those lines. Basically, you have to be full-on pro-Ukraine and anti-Russian and you can't in any way... Basically, that's it. That's, you have to be yeah. for, for your videos. If your videos infringe that in any way, those are new guidelines on YouTube. If your videos infringe those guidelines of not supporting Ukraine your videos will be taken down. So, we're in trouble. <laughs> from the, from the get-go. Uh, but so, so are a lot of other people. I mean, uh, George Galloway is doing you know, well, his regular yeah. shows. They're on YouTube. Okay. He says, Moat Show, Mother of All Talk Show. Right. I mean, he's, he's laying it all out. Right. But, I mean, the thing about it is, what, I want, what I'd like to know is, is, if, is, it, is it about thought? Uh, is it about thought crime? Or is it about what you actually say? Because I just said we're in trouble, right? Because obviously, mm-hmm. ideologically, we already infringe those guidelines. Mm-hmm. But does that matter? Because if there's some YouTube person watching this video right now and has just heard me say that ideologically we infringe those guidelines, is that enough to take our videos down? Or do we have to actually say something that infringes the guidelines? <laughs> Who knows? I'd like to know. Because they, don't actually, they, don't, they haven't got around to refining what exactly... What, what, what you, just, kind of did, what you just deduced is probably it. Anything that is um, damaging to the effort of demonstrating support for Ukraine and therefore, on the other side of the scales, anything that demonstrates support for Russia. The, the pro, there are obviously a myriad problems here which you haven't even begun. I've re- I read what YouTube issued the statement. It's so vague. It's like community guidelines stuff. They're, for now, they're hiding behind the same palaver they have given for everything else over the last 10 years of what they've taken down or demonetized mm. um, when it comes down to it though look at the look at other platforms facebook slash meta are saying mm. on the other side of the scales so to speak you can now explicitly call for the death of harm russians. and death of russians killing russians they said specifically and it wasn't just issued at the government or military of Russia. No, Russians. Basically. Russians, period. You may also, and they specifically stated this also, you may support Azov, Adar, and other neo-Nazi battalions of the Ukrainian forces, so long as that's in service of them killing Russians. You may not support them 
in any other context. For example, their beliefs in you just call uh, it. their beliefs, their anti-Semitic beliefs, their beliefs in um, the white race taking over control of the entire earth. You, you just got something. this video taken down by saying that. No, I, I'm stating what Facebook have said are their actual guidelines. But you call that Azov Battalion neo-Nazi. You, you may refer to their Nazism if it helps with killing Russians. But you weren't doing it right there. You weren't. You, you were referring to their their neo-Nazism in a pejorative way. That doesn't help to kill Russians. But it, it, they were acknowledged. Sorry, Neil, your video's <laughs> been banned. I'm sorry. There'll be no contest, no questioning. You're gone. You have been cancelled. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> you okay. just leave now. Good luck. See you later. <laughs> Over to you, George. Your show. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, yeah. Now, what I'm getting at here is that for now, YouTube is vague because, like I said, they're hiding behind the general ideological position. They've had community guidelines and so on and so forth. Hateful speech. But like I said, other platforms are specifying exactly what that means. And at that point, like, it's like bring it on. I mean, okay, you're very clearly stating... What side you're on. What side you're on and what's allowed. And that all that stuff about hate speech, about har- anything that harms others over the last 10 years yeah, yeah. has been BS. Has been thrown it's, out, It's yeah. whatever specifically is in service to the agenda of the well, day. The whole thing about hate speech and, and uh, you know, um, what's, whatever terms they, they've, they've used uh, over the past number of years, that, that thing... What other, what other terms? Well, it, hate speech it, during COVID, it was anything that was medical misinformation. Right. But broadened out to anything that may undermine the positions of the authorities. Yeah. The CDC, the World Health Organization, etc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But before that, before even COVID and stuff, the whole kind of, um, there was hate speech and thought speech and, and, and um, give me other terms. Or well, that, we had one video taken down for, um, specifically for presenting a false view of the events of January 6th. Right. But in broad terms, the whole ethos coming out of the US in particular and spread into Western countries was that it was all about um, anything that can be offensive or harmful or hurtful, hurt speech, not just hate speech, but hurtful speech, or any opinion that that in any way made someone else feel bad. Right? That was pretty extreme and it has been pretty extreme. And I mean... That that's going back several years when that began, right? But um, and it's it's almost like that has kind of that the process of that over the, the past going back really five six years, two thousand sixteen, two thousand fifteen, when that started as as part of the culture, a new kind of cultural meme uh, that spread around. It's almost like that has conditioned an awful lot of people over that five or six years to just be bleeding heart. Pearl clutching, hand rigging, hand wringing type people, which is very, uh, very useful for now in the face of of Russian the Russian uh, invasion of Crimea to get vast waves of the population just to just feel, don't think, just feel to, to dis- disregard any context, any understanding of the situation, and just take it as just go with and of course that's been domi- that dominates in the media and the media coverage of it it's all about evoking emotional responses to this whole situation rather than trying to understand the context and why it's happening which is you know it's like that I don't think of course that was a part of, uh, in, in human history a part of anybody's perspective on war or conflict or whatever but I think in the past people human beings generally had a, uh, more, more scope 
or more of an ability to try and understand uh, two sides of it, two sides of the situation that was more complex. It was an ability to understand complexities and nuance that's totally missing mm. in this situation. And like YouTube basically taking a side, and you can say, I talked about this uh, the other day to you, about how YouTube is taking a side, clearly taking a side, saying anybody who is in any way pro-Russian or anti-Ukrainian in this conflict and post a video, their videos will be removed and their, and their accounts may be deleted. Uh, that's fine because there's a the whole thing about uh, private companies. There's the whole uh, the counter to anybody who complains about this uh, cancel con- culture and all that kind of stuff, that these are private companies. Mm-hmm. And they have the right to decide who's in their space and who they accept into, onto their platforms. Uh, they have personal opinions. They're private companies with personal opinions, personal political beliefs, or, or whatever kind of beliefs, and they're, and they're entitled to enforce those. But it just so happens that YouTube's perspective on this is fully in line with the U.S. government. So that takes it away from being a private business, and it starts to... But then I, then I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute. YouTube is owned by Google, mm-hmm. is owned by Alphabet, which was pretty much set up by... DARPA. The, the U.S. intelligence agency. DARPA the, funding the, in 1990s. The U.S. government. Yeah. So YouTube isn't a private company, no. effectively. And that's why its views and its perspective fully aligns... Uh, with the government, with the, with the Western governments, and particularly the U.S. government, on this whole conflict. Yeah. So, Facebook is well known to have CIA origins, and uh, people will highlight, but maybe with the Google original Google contracts with DARPA, and then once it actually got up and running with the NSA explicitly, that was revealed by the Snowden files. That mm. The NSA and Google have very tight relationships since the late nineties. But it's going further than that. You're ultimately going to the place that Putin himself said about 10 years ago. You must understand, he said something to this effect, I'm paraphrasing, but this is it. The entire internet is an American creation. Mm. And they have been able to, and now they really are, calling in the chips they had put out there. It's like, this, this is our baby. Yeah. And yeah, and we're going we'll to explo- we'll explode. Down. Well, when they hauled up after the fake news um, hoo-ha, after the 2016 election and Brexit, they hauled up uh, Zuckerberg uh, Dorsey for Congress. And there's congressmen screaming at them, you know, what are you doing? Basically, quote unquote, to support the war effort, um, namely against the war against fake news here at home and in the West more broadly. And, and they, to see the guys, they're like, uh, we started, a, yeah, we started cooperating with the Atlantic Council to check fake news and with PolitiFact to fact check everything. And, you know, whatever else, just, just leave us online, you know, leave us alone. Because they know they can be polled at any moment. Polled, taken over in a friendly, corporate coup, you know, you name it. Um, their positions are, they have the right to make billions in the West so long as their interests, fundamentally when it comes down to it, mm. will align with the interests of power. Yeah. In the United States primarily. And that was, at that time it was, it was the US government saying, listen, you guys, Facebook, Twitter, etc., but primarily Facebook and Twitter and associated other platforms are, you know, you're set up supposedly as just a place where people could express their opinions. But at that point, they were saying, listen, that's not the case anymore. You have to be on side with us. You're American corporations. You need to, 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 to toe the American line in terms of communicating, communicating information to, to the general public. And that includes not allowing certain speech to be on your platform. Certainly yeah. not yeah. in any kind of a widespread way. And they way. gave it a thin veneer of, <clears throat> and made a deep effort to try and actually portray it as such. 
it was a thin veneer of, well, it's because it's Russian disinformation. Right. And after all that investigating, what they found was like a tiny click, tiny click, amount, yeah. click, click right. troll farm outside right. St. Petersburg, maybe something like 16,000 ads worth over a year, over the year of the U.S. campaigning, just nothing. Visibility to <clears throat> Americans point zero 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 something percent right. of the total election news saturation, wall to wall coverage. Of right, it. and I was on based on that justification. <laughs> yeah, we found the info so WMDs, was, ergo. So, that, so that was using the Russian hackers and Russian trolls, etc., excuse which didn't really exist, and, and Russian state-funded media RT to censor speech at home. Basically, yes. that was the whole point: was to censor yeah. speech at home, to censor, uh, and effectively, because that was about Trump, right, and uh, supporting Trump, and and uh, uh, and most importantly, Trump's being an agent of the Kremlin, right? But but they they wanted to censor uh, the opinions, effectively, of Trump supporters, which was you know, let's say it's at least half half fifty percent uh, of the population in the U.S. They wanted to censor their opinions on uh, on social media. And they and, and to do so, they used the Russian troll canard. Basically, they yeah. used the the, the the ruse of this is Russians doing this. They basically said that all conservative opinion in the U.S. is basically Russians. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Conservative mindsets, conservative ideology, conservative opinions in the U.S. don't exist. They're just Russian opinions. Yeah, but that was proven to be false. But they went ahead and did it anyway and forced these platforms to take a more active role in censoring conservative. Christian speech in the US. Yeah. Pretty much what happened. Yeah. And now we have a situation where the, the West is effectively, um, effectively, it's not, it's not difficult for us to find information from inside Ukraine or from Russia on what they see as going on inside Ukraine. It's not a complete blackout, but it is effectively a blackout for most people because they don't have the know-how Right. In terms of the or the time or the inclination to go and seek yeah. further afield, I mean, the, it's a blackout. So on YouTube and other platforms, it's it's just they're gone. It's not just that RT and Sputnik are gone because they were Russian uh, foreign language sources, but Russian sources are gone from those platforms as well. People, the, Rus the Russian uh, expats all over the world, the diaspora would, would watch this stuff on YouTube. You know, mm. That's gone as well. Mm. Uh, any Russian cultural program, anything at all, Russia, mm. is, is just gone from YouTube, um, among other platforms. They've also they, they've demonetized any use of um, independent channels within Russia itself. Yeah. What this means is that I've seen commentary from anti-Putin Russians, both living in Russia and abroad, who are like, this is a terrible mistake. There is a huge anti-Kremlin political dis dissident voice in Russia that relied on these platforms. Right, but because they're Russians, they're basically the bad They guy. just went blanket. Everybody from it's, Russia. It's like... Let's do, let's do full – this is the Cold War playbook, right? Let's do full Iron Curtain and divorce from Russia and all things Russian completely. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just – as we'll see later, it's not just an energy and economic issues. It's an information. Mm -hmm. but, <clears throat> but as I said at the uh, beginning of that, the, the, the main thing is to black out Westerners. The blind is, the, is being put on Westerners here because Russians themselves have long since – gotten their news from wherever they want. It's actually a very free economy of information over there, contrary to the perception that they, they've given us of Russia. Mm -hmm. There's been a huge um, dissident 
independent media platform in Russia. Yeah. The dominant voice there is actually primarily um, liberal, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the city, because the two major cities are Moscow and St. Petersburg. And it's been highly critical of Russia throughout, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there was some direct action taken by the Russian government on its side in terms of counter-information in this war, right? But the overwhelming amount of actions have been taken by the West. Mm. They have pushed the Russians into... The arms of Mother Russia. The arms uh, of Putin. In, in large part. Yeah, at yeah. least the ones who are, who are... Yeah, the dissenters, basically. They're, they're not winning that war. They're, yeah. But that's, that's just their hysterical it's knee-jerk hysterical response, right? Hysterical overreaction... God, maybe it's intended at some level, whatnot. As we'll see with economics, the same thing's happening there. Um, mm. I'll, I'll say it now that I've mentioned it. Michael Hudson, who's been you know a superb economist and uh, commentator on financial uh, architect of the world, especially on how the dollar war system works over the last 60, 70 years. Um, he wrote a piece last week. He says, I'm shocked. I'm not shocked about what's going on per se. I'm shocked because what I expected was that Russia, China, and or some other combination of non-aligned, non-Western countries, I thought they would go themselves and actively create an alternative system. Instead, instead, the dollar system has pushed Russia out of it, and now they have no choice but to build mm-hmm. their alternative system. Mm-hmm. Completely. Maybe they have, you know, a few things in pilot mode. We know that Russia has been trying to trade in its own currency directly with China as much as possible. But it was still, up until two weeks ago, dependent, like everyone else, on the dollar trade system. Mm-hmm. It's now been pushed out of it. It has no choice now but to create, to survive. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to, he's just gobsmacked because it's going to end the dollar system. Yeah. The, the, U, the U.S.'s own actions have done it. If indeed we do see gas and oil beyond the talk of what's happening actually dry up in its flow westward, again, they will have been 100% mm-hmm. Western actions. Mm-hmm. At no point in this is Putin saying, turn off the pipes. We will see what happens when they freeze. Ha, ha, ha. You know, that, that, that's how it's imagined to be happening in the yeah. Western mind. The actions to produce that reality are 100% on the Western side. But that's, there's something pathological about that. If you, if, you look, if you look at it from a psychological or a, yeah, a psychology point of view, human psychology point of view, that's like deep pathology, a deeply disturbed person who goes around imagining that everybody else is out to get them and then taking action against those people because on the basis of their imag- imagination that those people are out to get them and provoking the response... That wasn't there in, uh, in the beginning because of the, their, their, their imagination, their delusion that, the per- that all the people are attacking them. You know? So I, 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 I fantasize that people are out to get me, so I go on and start attacking them, and then they attack me back, and then I say, see? I mean, that's pretty, what, pretty much what we're talking about here, I mean, yeah. in, in broad strokes. Yeah. Up to and including impoverishing their own population, which will soon see deaths as a result of that. You know, food or fuel. Many pensioners in Europe are going to be making that decision this winter and next winter. Mm-hmm. Many of them are going to die. They're, they're going to effectively kill some of their own population to go, you see, you see, you see what the Russians did. Mm. We yeah. told you that man was evil. Yeah. That's ex- the extent of the pathology. Like right. And a lot of people, like I was saying at the beginning of the show before we got off on that, I was saying that people are, that, that, that the world is kind of crazy. The world has gone crazy. At least people... To the extent that people are, whoever's people watching the show and who are looking at the media and looking at, you're paying attention to it, 
you can definitely get an impression that there's something, someone has lost their plot, someone's lost the plot, someone, uh, or at least the West, let's say, the politicians and the power brokers in the West have really seemed to have lost the plot and it's being reported, that's coming through in reporting in the media where you just get this, you know, you get this version of events, this version of, of what's going on that if you're paying attention makes you go, what the hell are they talking about? That's like, what planet do they live on, you know? So people who are in that position, like most people watching this, uh, who are in that position, you know, understand that you are not crazy. The world itself is going crazy in the sense that and it's people in positions of power who are enacting absolutely crazy delusional policies that are filtering down to the population. And, um, and it's difficult to watch. It's difficult to... To, 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 to suffer through that yeah. but you're in a far better position by suffering through it and observing it and seeing it as it happens and getting a good read on the way the world is going and people many people out there who are just living in a bubble and, and, and only consuming the media only consuming news and are really leaving themselves seriously exposed yeah. for a point not too, not too far away uh, where the SH1T, the shit will hit the fan basically yeah. in some big way and they won't be prepared for it because they won't have been um, paying attention and yeah. suffering in that way uh, in bits uh, progressively along the way but you know, strengthening yourself as a result of that suffering and, and obviously paying attention and getting a read on what's coming along compared to people who are just oblivious and are consuming massive amounts of disinformation and nonsense and will continue to do so and then it all dumps and gets dumped on them all at once and they're yeah. just you know, they're and yeah. they don't know what to do. Basically, they're, they're thrown for a loop. So it's while it's difficult, it's <laughs> you know, absent the option of like leaving the planet or something like that. You know, going to the moon, spending a bit of time on the moon or something um, to wait it out. To wait it out, <clears throat> and you have to deal with it. There's no other way. You have to just. Yeah. But it's far better, given the conditions, to well, deal with it progressively rather than. Flying to the delusion. Yeah, we'll see. But for now, oh, most, who knows? Let's go with most. Most people um, in the United States, in North America, and Europe have no idea what's going on. Have been invited to believe that the hardship they're experiencing right now with their monthly heating bill doubling, at least so far, with their um, weekly expenditures on, on gas prices to get from home to work and back, doubling for now. They're invited to believe that this is Putin's fault. They may find comfort in that. They may find comfort in that because they believe it would encourage them to believe this is temporary. Until the problem's fixed, we'll have deterred Putin, he'll have gone home with his television. Or to, ideally, he'll have been assassinated. We have to get on social media and stop Putin, basically. We have to and get on social it. media, just suck it up. It's only going to last a little while. They're invited to believe that. And they probably are in majority numbers yeah. for now. A year from now, we'll see. Right. Because they'll be suffering. And mm-hmm. in, in, yeah, in, in serious ways, yeah. Yeah. In real ways that they can't even imagine right now. Yeah. But then they'll have a narrative, which is Putin did this. It, they'll still that, have that narrative. It'll the, still the, be histori- there. The history yeah. is being written as we speak right yes. now. And it, a false history is being written as we speak. And it's fascinating to, to, to watch it because, I mean, there's that old trope about history is written by the victors and mm. people generally can subscribe or do subscribe to the idea that, you know, history going back hundreds of years or whatever is like, you know, well, it's a mixed bag. It was always written by the victors. It's, a, it's at best a, a kind of partial version of events. And, uh, you know, 
whoever yeah whoever wrote the wrote the story uh it's their version of events but they don't seem able to, to recognize that when it's happening in real time yeah and it is happening in real well, time right now all things being equal in other words nothing fundamentally changes i'm not talking about ukraine per se ukraine is going to fundamentally change as a result of this but if nothing fundamentally changes in nato stamp and the anglosphere because of their domination of the financial sector globally and the information sector globally, all things being equal, this will go down as an atrocity by Putin. Um, they may even allow some truth and sort of project into Putin's intentions an attempt to take down the West <clears throat> by causing economic chaos. Um, all things being equal, that'll be the end of it. It will be a madman who came to power and in his obsession, sought to destroy the world as they knew it. Um, mm -hmm. Crazy. All things being equal, that, that's the hard, that's a horrific thing. No amount of us saying, or, or lots of others who are speaking out in some way or another mm -hmm. about this, trying to truthify it, you know, get mm -hmm. a more objective read on it. No amount of that will actually change that trajectory. This this will go down. The false fake news version will go down as the official history. Yeah. It's really hard to keep track, not to keep track, but it's really hard to be the person of which there aren't that many, but there are you know, a significant number like us who are trying to be reasonable and state facts about this current situation and to look at it in context and understand it in context and bring that context into any, you know, anybody who's listening and then in each, in each given moment to look at the facts and ascertain what's true and what's false in any given moment. It's really hard to do that because when you do that to people who are who rely entirely on you know have no interest in doing that and who rely entirely on the entirely on the media and the government, Western media and Western government for for what is real, when you try and bring those facts, they just dismiss them. You know, it's worse it's, than that. It's, they, they look they, at they turn on us. It's worse than that. Well, they, they turn, turn on, on you, but they dismiss the facts in the first place, and it's like bizarre to think that. And I mean, you can't appeal. You can't. You can accuse them, and they, they should be accused of hypocrisy uh, because there was no such outcry or wailing and gnashing of teeth and pearl clutching, etc., over the past 20 years when America or the Brits or the French or whatever invaded various different countries and killed hundreds of thousands. And in, a, in the case of, you know, at this point, probably it's in the millions of people. There was no such uh, outcry and mobilization of social media armies and, you know, taking in refugees and doing everything possible, you know, and paying extra money for gas in order to support the Ukrainian people. I mean, that didn't happen for the people of Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, and a few other places over the past 20 years. Well, that that didn't happen. And so when it happens now, you, you can justifiably go, well, you know, isn't that a bit hypocritical? But then you have to look at it and say, well, as we showed in, pre in the past couple, last week's show and the week before, it's coming out even in the media. They can't help themselves to make it, to explicitly in, in the reporting state that, listen, this isn't like Iraq or Afghanistan or Libya. These are white people. So when you realize that that's what a lot of people in the West are working off, like basically it's, you know, we called it last week a racism, right? It's, it's, it's a, a preference for your race in terms of empathizing with people suffering if they're from your ethnicity, they're your skin color, then they get a lot of lot of sympathy. If they're not, ah, who gives a shit? Is that? I mean, I think I asked you last week. Is that racism? Yeah, let's call it racism, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just in, in 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 literal terms. So, 
if they're admitting that effectively, like explicitly or implicitly admitting that, well, then they can't really be accused of hypocrisy, can they? So, you know what I mean? So I try and undercut my own thinking and feeling about, the, about these people and how they're responding in the West and how they're being encouraged to respond in the West. So I can't really accuse them of hypocrisy because they're almost ex- implicitly uh, you know, admitting that they're racist and they don't care about previous wars. There's no point in me bringing that argument yeah. because they don't care about brown people who die yeah. as a result of US wars. They only care about white people who die as a result of Russian wars. Yeah. And even then, Perhaps it's nuanced. It's nuanced. But the, because they didn't they've care about been people told, in Donbass. Again, yeah. They've been told. Right. The 12 they, or 14. They've been, to- they been told for the last three weeks, or three months if you include the, the build-up to this, they must pull out all the stops for this. Right. You, you, this week, you have schools in the United Kingdom at government initiatives that are encouraging, I don't know if they're private schools or state schools, whatever. They're encouraging the schools. They have a, a non-uniform day. Normally they wear a school uniform. On the Friday they go in, they can wear whatever they want. They have Ukrainian-themed days. You come in in blue and yellow. Mm. And they have um, you know, presentations, videos, special, uh, all-day um, info programming, basically with government assistance to teach the kids about the war, how evil mm-hmm. Russia is, how Ukraine yeah. must be. It, this has never been seen before. Right. As, uh, as George Galloway, who I mentioned, pointed out, this kind of, this is, he, he's seen a lot of wars. He's commented a lot of wars. He's getting this one right too, God bless him. He got COVID completely screwed backwards. But he's wars he knows about. It. He's seen them all. He said, I have never seen this kind of war psychosis. Furthermore, the fact, it, what, what's making him even like just, just take a step back and go, wow, for another reason is that this is a war that officially doesn't involve the United Kingdom. It's not a war of the United Kingdom against Russia. In that kind of existential situation, you could well imagine it's all in for the British government. Mm. But instead, it's all in in a war right. that's proxy. Why? Syria wasn't. Not to that extent, anyway. Yeah. Iraq certainly wasn't. None other was. And now, that kind of would support what you just suggested, as because Ukrainians are white. But there, there are exceptions. What about Serbia? Yeah, well, again, the Yugoslavia. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They were all white. There's that, but that's being weaponized, effectively. That latent kind of like affiliation for people of your own skin, skin color is being weaponized and it's being exploited. And of course, yes, it's totally, it, more than that, it's down to the manipulation of the population and the weaponizing, weaponization of the population's emotions in order to serve a government or, or uh, the agenda of, of, of the government of the British government, the American government, the French government, whatever. It's like through the media, they're weaponizing people's feelings mm. by, by exploiting people's feelings. Why? Uh, why, why, why is, but it's part the, of the war why is Ukraine so important for them? Why is it all in to the point of um, really, really going like just excise, attempting to excise Russia from current events mm-hmm. and history and culture and everything? It's 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 really just well, we they're acting as if this is existential for the West. Well, it seems to be like I mean they've been gunning for Russia for quite a long time, and I mean it seems that we talked about this in previous shows as well. Is that it's obviously it's economic, uh, and it's 
ideological and the difference between the ideology, the, the, the worldview, the perspective of the Russian government and to a large extent the Russian people versus the perspective of, of Western populations. Like, I mean, the Russian government, Putin's government has many times over the past 20 years talked about a multipolar world as opposed to a unipolar world. And a unipolar world is where America and its allies reign supreme or top of the heap. They get not just all the, the, the wealth and power, but they get to feel more importantly almost, or as importantly, that they are the moral top arbiter, dog. Yeah. yeah, and they get to talk down to people and tell people what to do. And that, when that's at stake, that feels to those people as an existential crisis, basically. It is an existential crisis in almost in a literal sense, in the, in the kind of uh, psycho-spiritual <laughs> sense, well, but that's where those pa- people that's live off the it, power and control and domination. And when they feel it slipping away, it feels like they're, they're being killed. It feels like they're being threatened. Their lives are being threatened. Because that's what they feed on. It's pathological. I mean, Russia's population is 140-some million. Its military is limited, for God's sake. It's not actually in a position to, um, you know, intervene willy-nilly, left, right, and center the whole world over. It's, it's not, you know, fully stretched what it's doing in Ukraine, but it's, it's, it's got its hands full. This is about as much as it can do on its border. And yet these people are talking like, you know, yeah, it's well, all going to fall. Because of this, it's it's make or break. It's and it's it's, it's psychosis, and it well. But there is, I think, there is some reality behind it. There is a real threat. I mean, that 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 feeling about it being an existential threat to Western hege- hegemony, that, that Russia is an existential threat to Western hegemony, is true, in the sense that, like we've again we've talked about this previously, yeah. that they went after Nord Stream two. They haven't been happy about uh, European dependence on uh, Russian energy supplies, the increasing dependence of Europe on Russian energy supplies because with that dependence comes, with that economic cooperation and dependence comes political and even ideological dependence and there's a, there's a danger, at least America has seen it this way for quite a long time, there's a danger of Europe, Western Europe, NATO countries uh, falling or slipping into a Eurasian, Russian slash Chinese sphere of influence. And when that happens, America becomes that, you know, decent-sized country, but 3,000 miles across the ocean, beside old Canada and a bunch of uh, South American taco eaters. Is that racist? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid it was. In the context, though, it was... I'm, not, it was I'm, just, saying in term, I'm just saying in terms... Yeah, I'm just saying in terms of, of, of the way the world works yeah. today, the way the world is set up uh, economically and, and power structure-wise... Mm. America, if it was isolated on that side of the Atlantic Ocean, in between the Pacific yeah. and the Atlantic Ocean, but with the Eurasian landmass kind of knitted together, I mean, whether or not that would actually so come to... it's so far off reality. I know, but whether or not... The dollar it, still reigns supreme. I know, but it wouldn't if, in their, in their view, it wouldn't if you had this idea of, this idea of Eurasian integration, yeah. integration was, would, came to fruition. You'd have something like well over 50% of the landmass and the resources of the world concentrated in one, not concentrated, but in one landmass and shared between, you know, yeah. the countries in the Eurasian landmass. And, I mean, again, there is some reality to it, but it is liberally dosed with a lot of fear and delusion and just, you know, path pathology, like you were saying, which, you know, when you factor that in, well, all bets are off, you know. You can't get someone to, to see any other way, and especially when you have America who has growing fat and uh, arrogant on being 
the global hegemon since at least the end of the Second World War, if not before it. You know, they've got very well, very used to that position and come to enjoy it a lot. And it's, it, it defines them. It's, their, it's, it's who they see themselves as, the world policeman, the exceptional nation, the shining city on a hill. They don't have another version of themselves to transition into. Yeah. And the natural order and the natural development of, of technology and, and global economy is leading to that situation of a more ba- a, a rebalancing of global power structure based on economics and populations towards Eurasia, which is where it should be. Because, like I said, I think it's something like eighty percent of the world's population, and not much less of the world's resources on that landmass in Eurasia. Because you've got China, India, on all of Europe. You've got China, between China and India, you've got three billion people. Europe's another. You know, six, seven hundred million. You know, you throw in. A few, it's, it's probably four. It's probably, it's yeah. probably up there five, six. You know, billion people on a landmass, um, contiguous landmass, basically, right? Um, anyway, um, where were we going with that? Don't know. That's why America. That's why. That's why there's this hysteria. Basically, that's why it feels like an existential crisis. That's why the Brits are acting in this way, like you just described, where they're weaponizing the population. They're having kids go to school with their blue and white uniform days, and the mass, the, the media is just off the leash. Like they're just crazy in terms of their massively one-sided version of it. They're oversimplified, black and white uh, atrocity propaganda, which is an actual thing if you look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, atroc- I think it's called atrocity propaganda. It's been used for a long time, you know, uh, by media uh, around the world, going back, you know, 100, 150 years, where they would present their enemy in a really negative light and, and only pre- present one side of the story, you know. Um, yeah, so that's why they're doing it. Anyway, um, and this actually, just on that point, a, a good example of it, throw up the uh, Kiev Post uh, Twitter. <laughs> Kiev Post is a, is a, is probably the main newspaper in Ukraine, and they produced this video. Let's see. First of all, playing the race card. First of all, artists. first of all, they w- you know anybody, certainly the Russians have attacked uh, Paris. The um, Eiffel Tower isn't a strategic uh, target, you know, especially sitting the top of it. Unless I'll be just for shit. This entire time, it's actually masquerading as a missile. It silo. could be a giant missile itself, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, um, that's an example of you know. Imagine if Putin attacked any other European country. I imagine if Putin attacked Paris. Uh, that's just, and that's coming from obviously that's the Kiev Post, but that that the sentiment in that video has been repeated ad nauseum by European and American broadsheets, newspapers, over and over again over the past two or three weeks. So the Kiev Post just did a video to represent it, right? So, and they're prese- they're saying that over and over again, despite the fact that there is no evidence, no reason to believe. Uh, 
in particular, no statements for the, from, the, from the Russian government and no, no, no reason whatsoever to, to assume that Russia has any intention of attacking any other country, that, they're, that they, have, they have invaded Ukraine for very specific reasons yeah. and so are very explicit about. So to put that out there is pure propaganda and pure nonsense, you know, yeah. uh, because it's not just saying, you know, this, look, this is how we're feeling. They're implying what, the, like, as I said, the media has been repeating over and over again that Russia wants to conquer all of Europe. Yeah. It's just pure fabrication. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff that drives you bonkers. And that, but that's also the kind of stuff that videos repeat is, is spread far and wide by the... The, the Twitterati. The numbnuts on Twitter. Who don't care about facts, don't care about context, don't care about sharing. I mean, I can understand from people in Ukraine who feel that way, who would say that anything goes, anything is, is, anything is uh, justified, any messaging is justified in order to stop uh, Ukrainians being killed. Uh, sure, maybe. Is it? That gets the heart of the matter of whether yeah. war itself is ever justified. And then, then it gets back to hypocrisy, where there was no such massive outpouring of hand-wringing, pearl-clutching by Western populations over any of the other wars that America has launched. So when America launches a war, it's fine. Well, you, you don't even need to get into whataboutery where you compare it to other countries and war theatres. The question is here, where does this war in Ukraine begin? For Westerners, they've been yeah. introduced to it now. Yeah. It's, it's eight years old. It, yeah, exactly. You know? Um, well, just talking more about... Uh, propaganda. Of course, everybody heard this week about the Russians. I suppose everybody who's watching heard. Everybody got it. Yeah, not just even people who are watching. Anybody who just, you know, glanced at the TV surely had a little meme injected into their minds, which was that Russia had bombed a maternity hospital. Yes, in Mariupol. In Mariupol. Now, again, that's a very emotive. Um, very uh, provocative it, statement, it, yeah. and it and it, it 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 provokes you know strong reactions in people. The idea of anybody bombing a maternity hospital—you mean there's pregnant women and babies in there, newborn babies—and he just killed them all. And it's like, no, that's not what happened. So you don't, you should not have that response. All of the evidence suggested that hospital was taken over, and all the residents and whoever whoever was in it at the time were booted out by Ukrainian forces and they took up a military position within it, which was why it was attacked. But again, what aboutery? I don't know. I think the what aboutery thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit manipulative and, and trite because it is important in terms of how you, understanding how you respond. In terms of your own integrity and your own, your own sense of, 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 uh, of understanding and of justice and, and, and of a proper read of a situation, you need to look at the context in which uh, anything is happening right now. You know, look at the past. You know, is your response today consistent with your response previously? Why are you responding? Because it, it'll expose to you the possibility that you're being manipulated. If you feel now, if you, if you come to realize that you're responding now in a, in a way that you didn't respond to exactly the same situation years ago. So why would that be? Surely anybody who saw that within themselves would, would question and go, well, why, why would that be? Why am I having this reaction now when I didn't have it a few years ago to the same situation? Throw up the, the hosp.jpg. Uh, it's just a headline from 
I think it's maybe 2017, six, maybe 16. Anyway, uh, this was a bombing of a hospital by, uh, it was a hospital that was staffed by Medicine Sans Frontier in Afghanistan, and they killed something like 47 people, patients included, in the hospital in Afghanistan. And this was the headline, put it one headline. Many others repeated the same thing, that when America bombed a hospital in Afghanistan full of patients and killed 47 of them, including doctors, it was not a war crime. But when Russia does it, it is. Yeah. Is that what aboutery? Or is that not a valid point for mm-hmm. anybody who's having the response to the Mariupol maternity hospital story should be aware, should be reminded of this story. Yeah. And I'll use it to, to, to inform their, their perspective on the whole situation, to come to a broader, more nuanced perspective on the whole situation rather than a knee-jerk reaction response every time a headline is, is dumped across their, their, their screen, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mariupol, um, I have a video actually of, this is Russian drone footage of an airstrike in the center of Mariupol. I don't know what the building is, but it's a genuine, let, let's play this. Do you have a Scotty? Um, it's taken from a larger video. I've just, you know, taken this one airstrike. Let's play it. I'll, there's no sound. I'll just talk over it. This is a, a slow-mo playback. So that's the airstrike. This is a very large one. Um, I'm pretty sure it hit the building and not ground next to the building. Mm-hmm. This is the aftermath. They're going to zoom in a bit here. Now, is this the one? Yes. So look at these Look at these strikes. Look at these things coming off the, fu- the fire. Little, little things are shooting out. You yeah. see that? Shooting out. That's weapons, probably. That's munitions. But that spawn... Whatever they hit... Included right. a lot of ammunition. It could Shells, have been a residential building, flights. and it would be spun as Russia attacks residential building, bombs residential building, but then you realize that there's weapons inside it, which means a residential building stops being a residential building when all of the residents are kicked out and Ukrainian forces are put inside it. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the general trend in the last week, and it, it pertains to Mariupol, um, for, on at least four days, maybe five successive days, Russia and Ukraine negotiated ceasefires at, from 10 a.m. every single day. That's, I think that's largely why there was a lot less military activity in terms of Russia pushing uh, into those cities, that, the, the main cities that ring the Ukrainian border with Russia, um, because the current objective is, of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge struggle between the West and East. The West is desperately... Tr- Desperately, it is its claims showing objective evidence of atrocity, war atrocity, atrocity porn against uh, civilians in these cities. Russia's like holding off, holding off to try and get these humanitarian corridors up and running. So they negotiated these corridors at 10 a.m. every day, and where possible, they try and do a split option. If you're Ukrainian and you feel Russia is the devil, you can go the other way, you can go westward mm-hmm. into territory that is not affected by Russian military forces yet. Or you can head to Russia. Well, day after day, this actually began last week, but it's just kept up all this week. At 10 a.m., Ukrainian forces would not let people out. Mm-hmm. 
There's drone footage now, um, I don't have it with me, but shows um, a huge convoy of civilian cars at Chernigev, which is a city in the uh, northeast of Ukraine. They're trying to leave, and there are, there are Ukrainian forces all around. They're blocked. It's right. clearly a Ukrainian checkpoint. There's no Russian right. forces around. Right. Um, instead, at these a lot of times, every day, the Ukrainians keep the people in. They're all prepared and ready to leave, and they start shelling or attacking Russian positions. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing every day. So they began attacks on those Ukrainians. So what's the? I don't know if civilians were killed. I imagine they were because they're so close with civilian convoys mm. or clusters. Mm. If there's if they're all gathered in basements in mm. the cities, they began targeted strikes a lot more in these major cities last yeah. week. Hence the, the headlines in the West: Oh, Russia's just you know going after civilians. Mm-hmm. And despite that, in fact, there's been some success. Some of those strikes have resulted in freeing convoys. Zelensky is claiming that despite the Russian attempts to block them, 125,000 Ukrainians have managed to evacuate cities in the last like three days. No, it's the other way around. Despite the Ukrainian forces right. ha- ham- um, hampering them, the Russians have managed mm-hmm. to get some people out. Of those big cities, but that's that's normal. Like in, in, in the sense, that's again, people. So many people know, you know, observing this have no understanding of, of how what happens in war and how uh, that's absolutely a legitimate strategy of at least of certain uh, warring uh, warring parties to use a civilian population. I mean, uh, I mean, you look at the Second World War, and uh, there were. At least in Europe, there were far more civilians killed than, than there were um, uh, soldiers killed in the Second World War. You know, and in the Second World War overall, there was 65 million people uh, died in the Second World War, and most of them were civilians. How did that happen? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's part and parcel of war. Like uh, anybody defending from an attack will not, you know, will use civilian the civilian population seen as non-combatants. To, to hide behind, you know. So this this thing that has been thrown around uh, by different people in different situations about accusing certain uh, militaries of of using human shields as if it's something that isn't a mainstay of of war is just it's just crazy. That's what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Can we look at the latest um, South Front map showing Russian occupied territory in Ukraine? Um, I think I gave it to you. Here it is. So this hasn't changed much from the one we saw last week. Um, again, this is from South Front, and they're a lot more um, conservative in their estimation. You will see other maps where there are definitely Russian military presence that has extended far further into the interior of Ukraine. But South Front's uh, criteria for their maps are these are the areas in red along Russia's border with Ukraine are strictly areas where they now fully are in control of. So they're far more conservative about it. It hasn't changed much from last week. It has deepened a little, um, Mm -hmm. especially on the east and the south of Ukraine. That's where they seem to have concentrated most of their advances um, in the last seven days. So you see that, um, just a general comment on this. So people are wondering, well, what is the plan, right? Well, maybe this is the plan, you know, in large part. Notice how the Russian-controlled areas now extend in a band I've estimated to be on average 70 kilometers wide. It's probably more like 100 in the south. And it extends all the way from Kiev, which is south of Belarus, and then you reach the Russian border there at the top, 
all the way down along the Russian border, all the way around Donetsk, Lugansk, and then the Sea of Azov, all the way across Crimea and into part of Ukraine's remaining uh, Ukrainian military-controlled Black Sea coastline. That is probably, in a nutshell, what they've wanted to do because that's what they have achieved at this point. They have what the Western media didn't mind calling for Turkey, a corridor of control, a zone of a buffer zone all along specifically their border they share with Ukraine, yeah. as Turkey does all along the northern Syrian um, Yeah, well, although, although, I mean, this, this gets the, the, the question of, <clears throat> it's really pissed me off, like I've seen it over and over again, people criticizing, and they've been trying to criticize the Russian military advance in every possible way you can think of. One of the main ones being uh, Russian strategy is failing, it's not working out the way they planned, uh, Russian mm. troops are crap, they're useless, they're not able to do anything. I mean, it's just, I, I just like, it, I just gloss over that. I just, it's like whatever, uh, as to be expected. But it doesn't talk, I'm only interested in what's actually happening. And I have never heard the Russians say, anybody from the Russian government or any official source say that they ever planned a blitzkrieg where they would take Kiev in two days. It right. just never happened. It was never part of it. But they made, the Western media made that up. Yeah. And all of these analysts talking about this as if that was actually a thing. Well, they the Russians, project what they would do onto Russia. Exactly. But the Russians never stated that. And what they did state was that their primary, first primary goal was to secure Donbass, which is in the, in the, on the right there in the, in the east, and to secure Crimea. And that's precisely what that map shows. But there's a third front. So there are two fronts, one securing Donbass, one securing Crimea and moving up from there. And because, again, the part of the reason for this invasion was, and that it's been revealed this week, plans discovered, although that were seriously suspected, of the Russian or the Ukrainian military, this all, all during last year, planning to take back Crimea and Donbass by force. To, to, to wage an actual yep. blitzkrieg, if they could, through Donbass and, and slaughter as yeah. many people as, as necessary. And they claim to have found documentation for right. that effect. Yeah. And so the Russians, that's a major part of the reason for, one of the major reasons for Russian, this Russian invasion. And they've secured those two areas that were going to be attacked, i.e. the Donbass on the right there and, and Crimea in the south. But they've also opened up, a, they also planned, obviously, to open up a front. This wasn't just to secure those. And that's evidenced by, the, the, at the top, the red, the movement towards Kiev. They obviously included in their plans taking Kiev. Once Kiev is gone, once Kiev is taken, then that's it. Yeah. The, the government falls, the government is in, and there'll be a new government. And that obviously is the Russian plan. And they're moving progressively and slowly as we talked about previously as well, for every uh, Russian soldier killed, and the numbers have been, people again have said that they're far more than they expected. Kiev says 12,000. Yeah. But the Telegraph repeats it. Kiev is full of shit. Like, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, but the numbers of Russian casualties, military casualties are quite high. But for every Russian soldier killed, because of the way Russia is proceeding, for every Russian soldier killed, there's probably 10 or 20 or 50 civilians Ukrainian civilian lives that have been spurred yeah. because of the way they're progressing, uh, not attacking wholesale. Because, I mean, usual strategy and the strategy that the US employed when they invaded countries was to basically just obliterate uh, everything in front of them and move forward. You obliterate with airstrikes or cruise missile strikes or weapon, uh, bombs or whatever. You obliterate the area in front of you where the enemy forces are, including civilians and civilian buildings and civilian infrastructure. And then you move your mechanized, uh, uh, your, your mechanized troops and artillery into that space and then you do the same thing again and that's how you progress clearly Russia hasn't been doing that to avoid civilian casualties yeah. but as a result going slowly and avoiding avoiding civilian casualties they've taken a lot of hits 
yeah. that they wouldn't otherwise have had on the, on their military the, forces. They're proceeding, as someone said, with one hand tied behind their back. Right, for sure. And and think of and the, they don't get any credit for that. I know. While they, America they goes, does shock and awe in Iraq. And Targeting up, on day one the electrical um, grid, the communications, the, the water, centers, water, sanitation, everything, and indiscriminately hospitals. bombing it. Um, I did an estimate. That band of territory from, you see, in the north, from just west of Kiev, all the way around past the next big city is Chernigiv, the next one is Sumy, then Kharkiv, Lugansk, Donetsk, and so on. That band all the way down to Kherson, near Odessa in the south, it's about 1,500 kilometers long. Mm. And like I said, 100 to 70 kilometers deep. I mean, and they're doing it with, you know, a force of, well, officially, it's the official Western accounts say 200,000 soldiers. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> oh, Russia's moving <clears throat> slowly because they're losing, because they yeah. didn't expect this Ukrainian resistance, because blah, blah, blah. That's a huge undertaking. Ukraine, Ukraine is the biggest country in Europe, apart from Russia. It's bigger than France. It's the size of Texas. It has the population of California. Mm -hmm. 40 million people. Yep. Of course it's not a walk in the park. I know. But people don't understand. They're not interested in understanding the context and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and they don't look at history. They don't look at... So whatever. We do. They don't. Well, sucks for them. Whatever. Um, little piece of trivia. Gulf War I, 1991. America. Saving Kuwait from incubators. Babies being thrown out of incubators, remember? Mm -hmm. Bit of war, war atrocity propaganda. Um, it was made up. Um, they lost 75 aircraft. Who? The Americans in the first Gulf War in the first month of that. An example, you know what I mean? Because right. people jump on every, every, every partial evidence or, or dubious evidence of a, or, or actual evidence of a, a Russian plane or aircraft being shot down or a tank it's like they think that that's a victory like russia shouldn't have and it's interesting because it exposes their belief yeah about the russian military that it's a really awesome military and they shouldn't take any casualties whatsoever like because you just that's said. what they expect <clears throat> of their side right <laughs> yeah but they don't know that uh, you know yeah. america to relatively got its ass handed to it in the first gulf war i mean 75 aircraft shot down in a month with a force They're, of half a million yeah there's, I, I seriously doubt that 75 Russian aircraft have been, have been shot down in the, in the past three weeks of uh, probably kind of a quarter maybe at, or, or less of that than, than that, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, throw up the – well, what a, the other thing, well, since we're talking about Iraq, weapons of mass destruction, right? Well, people probably know this already. It's ah, slightly okay. old news now. But just throw up uh, – in case you haven't seen it, uh, Twitter, Jack Posebeck. It's just on his channel, but it's Victoria Newland testifying to Congress. Um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda 
to groups already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. Last question. <laughs> Uh, Last yeah. question. Do you love your country? <laughs> yeah. I love my country. Have you now or have you ever been Look what the cat a member in. of the Putin party? It's uh, amazing. It's, it's interesting. Um, they have biological weapons. There's something, well, there's something like 13 uh, across Ukraine that were being funded partly and run in cooperation with Americans. And some of them dated back to the Soviet era in Ukraine. Uh, the more modern ones, let's say, would maybe have just been relatively benign, you know, different uh, uh, research into different, uh, you know, viruses or pathogens or whatever. Like but the Soviet era ones were, at the time, and, and I think in the documents that, that have been discovered, because there's been documents that were found at these sites as the, as the Russians went in, that they've released, uh, show that the biological weapons development from the Soviet era in those sites in Ukraine were maintained. So while some of them might have been more benign, it's possible or probable that some of them did contain or do contain uh, actual biological warfare that was maintained and uh, kept going basically since the Soviet era. Um, but yeah, Marco Rubio there, we, little Marco was... Um, Pretty quick on the on the uptake to get in there, and just just let me get to my my my, my point here. And asking you about the biological weapons facilities in Ukraine, it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't. I, I don't you want were to supposed to say no. <laughs> well, you were, well, you were meant to say the Russians are gonna. Yeah. If anybody does chemical weapons in Ukraine, it's the Russians. That was the point, you know. So I just wanted to get that out there. It's it's another. It's another milestone, and the, the fact that it echoes with Iraq. All of its own accord. You didn't need any Russian defense ministry spokesman to say anything. You actually had the Russians say statements two weeks ago to this effect that they suspect and blah, 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 that they found some documents that were not burned. Yeah. That they found that there was an order on February 24th, destroy everything. Yeah. Um, that spurred conspiracy theories, in quotes, in the West, which spurred a whole load of fact-checking. This is all fake news. And Tory and Newland single-handedly elevated it, at least for 24 hours, to the top of the news cycle yeah. in the West, Oops. which is an amazing self-own. And we're talking about Iraq. I mean, this just brings us all full cycle. Everyone remembers then the vile mm -hmm. Colin Powell, the UN. WNDs were the justification. Remember what the emotional hook for that was and what it came down to in the end, they couldn't find no WMDs. So they got Colin Powell to represent WMDs with that file, right? And specifically his claim was that Saddam Hussein stockpiling anthrax with a view to releasing it in the West. Generally, not in the US in particular. 
that wasn't enough to push things over the line. So the UK government or UK intelligence services came up with a workaround which went down in history as the Downing Street dossier where they, quote, fixed the facts around the policy and came up with the claim that Saddam had the means to deliver these WMDs to London in less than 45 minutes. So it, came, it was very important for them to stitch that, quote, unquote, fact together before they went, launch, off they went to the war. They had failed to get a UN security um, meeting approval for it. They failed even to get yeah. NATO approval because France and Germany were like, we're not on board with this. Right. But what it came down to in terms of selling the story was this specific claim that WMDs could be launched and arrive in Washington and London in less than an hour. Mm-hmm. So, so that and that speaks in Victoria Newland's claim there that it's been well, it's well known that uh, Russia accuses others of what they're planning to do themselves. Uh-huh. But that was, that, what you just said was an example and in 2003 was the, the, the Brits and the Americans accusing Iraq of planning to do what America was planning to do to Iraq. They were accusing the Iraqis of, of attacking, planning to attack the UK in 45 minutes when in fact the whole point of saying that was because they had a plan to attack Iraq. Yes, and specifically then that that gave them reason for just war. They called it preemptive war mm. and they were trying to cite this they were trying to have a case in international relations, international law, where this is justified. And there is a claim that you can make the claim based on preemptive action. There's an immediate threat to us, therefore we strike first. That was the whole thing they were trying to go for. Mm-hmm. And it was one big lie, and everyone knows that by now. Mm-hmm. But again, it gets back to my th- the psychological thing, the, the, the delusional, pathological mind that believes goes out there and decides that other people are going to attack me, therefore I'm going to attack them. And when they attack me back, I say, see, that's what they're going to do all along. Yeah. Some, that, that, that's the core of it, basically. It's a sickness yeah. in these people. And this, the sickness creates um, either intentional duplicitous um, double intentions, so to speak, or it's such a huge blind spot that one part of the U.S. government doesn't know what the other is doing. And while it's out there lecturing the world about WMDs, it's actively building WMDs along the Russian border inside Ukraine, mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot. Right. Presumably to use them against Russians. Yeah. In a nutshell, basically, apart from the plan to uh, the, the exposed now known last year, well, you know, a year ago or more, by Russia that uh, the Ukrainians were planning to invade Donbass and Crimea and take it back by force. Uh, the Russians know that, in to, and anybody with any sense knows that in 2014 there was a coup, a US-backed coup in Ukraine to set that whole situation up. And Russian, the Russians had it as a, as a you know, they, they're, they're, one of their major concerns on top of all the others was that ultimately the goal was to use Ukraine for regime change in Russia. And when Putin and the Russian government talk about it as kind of like a, a direct threat to our security, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about what they perceived with plenty of evidence of a, an American plan long in the making and being put in place day by day to overthrow the government in Russia, to, to have regime change in Russia yeah. using Ukraine. Yeah. So what do you do in that situation and who do you blame? When Russia responds by defending itself and, and, and invades this country that is being that's being weaponized by the U.S. and its allies to to attempt to uh, you know implement a direct threat to the to the Russia, Russia the country and the government and to overthrow it and stage a bloody coup, what do you do? Yeah. What does any country do? 
and who's to blame for the results? WMDs are one plank of it. Um, the nuclear yeah. uh, weaponry is another key plank here. It's been uh, well talked about, I think, enough, decently enough, at least in the alternative independent media, that um, Zelensky came back from the Munich conference in February with the intention of ripping up Ukraine's um, impartiality, neutrality in terms of possessing nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. Well, this week, um, th this news story reached people in two different ways. One in the West, in another uh, mass episode of um, uh, pearl clutching, in the form of, oh, Russia is bombing a nuclear facility in Kharkov. The Russian story is that we're trying not to, but the Ukrainian forces have rigged the damn place with explosives. Mm -hmm. um, it's since been blown up. Uh, I don't believe there's any serious nuclear threat to anyone. It was, a, it was indeed a research. It's the Institute uh, uh, of Nuclear Biological research, Threat um, for, at the university in Kharkov. The Russians have also published what they claim was um, documentation showing that this facility was indeed already um, several steps down the road to developing mm. nuclear weapons mm -hmm. for Ukraine. So when Zelensky came back from Munich three weeks ago, he was only articulating someone that was something that the Russians claim was already a fact mm -hmm. on the ground developing. Again, it's just to underscore that there's another red line, another yeah, existential yeah. red well, line for part, Russia, where you've got a regime that hates us, at least it's led by people with hate, really, really extreme people in Kiev and all over the country. They're now in positions of power. They are developing, and it's now proven true, their fears, Russian fears, are proven true that they were developing WMDs with a view to who knows what, unleashing pandemics, unleashing some kind of atrocity that could be plausibly denied. Oh, it's just uh, the spread in, of plague or in whatever. In general, in an overall, in an even more concise nutshell, Russia invaded Ukraine because it saw very clearly that Ukraine was being used to plan uh, an attack on Russia, to yeah. plan to go to war against Russia. Ukraine With was using going WMDs. To, well, using whatever, using every every everything at their disposal, they were going to uh, launch a war of one form or another against Russia and it took preemptive uh, measures and that's very different from what America has ever done no country that America has attacked over the past 20 or 30 years or even 40 or 50 years or 80 years no country that America has been at war with has ever been in a position or has ever been a threat to America let's say Russia no country that America has ever invaded or attacked has ever threatened or been in a position to threaten uh, America but they attacked them anyway here we have a situation where Russia had plenty of evidence that Ukraine was being used and was planning to launch an attack a war against Russia and they responded preemptively um, just throw up the France 24 just as a quick uh, validation evidence of, of, of what I was just saying there a few minutes ago the France 24 one um, it's just this is from although it other stories predated back to March last year. So, um, yeah, evidence that the Ukrainian government under Zelensky and all the others definitely clearly had plans and intention with the backing of the US to take back, and that's just mentioned Crimea there, but Donbass was very much part of the whole deal as well. Um, let's just jump to uh, cbc.ca. 
this is from a few days ago. Stoltenberg, that freaking stuffed shirt twit. Uh, I know that's um, Trudeau, but uh, basically Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General, has warned Russia about attacking supply lanes, lines supporting Ukraine. <clears throat> now, obviously, the West is fully supporting. They've, they've shipped in 20,000, at least 20,000 uh, anti-tank slash anti-aircraft uh, man pads, uh, mobile kind of missiles, um, into the country, and they're all being shipped in from the West, obviously, primarily from Polish territory across the border into Ukraine to supply the Ukrainian military forces. Um, that's one step. I mean, any reasonable person would say, listen, you're basically fighting against us. If you're supplying people, Poland is at war, and, and by definition, NATO is directly at war with Russia here. They're simply one remove. Well, they're getting the Ukrainians to do the fighting, but they're giving the Ukrainians all of the weapons to make life as difficult and as painful as possible for Russia, which means you're party to the war. Now, the only kind of like technicality around that but that would say, well, we're not at war, is that this is, these are Ukrainians doing the fighting and we're, they're simply... It's Ukrainians coming and getting the weapons from us. We're just selling them to them. And, of course, international arms trade, you can, people have been... Countries around the world for 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 forever have uh, made money from selling weapons to. Oh, Turkey selling drones to Kiev. I know. While shaking Russia's hand, right? Yeah. While, while saying they won't impose sanctions on Russia, they're saying. <laughs> but that that should tell you something about about how the whole operation works. It's a little insight into how it all works at that level, at that top level, you know, where Putin and Erdogan are still best buddies, while Erdogan is sending drones to Ukraine that are attacking Russian troops. Explain that one to me. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of wiggle room uh, here, you know. Um, but anyway, which so which is why Russia is happy enough at the at the moment anyway to not get too worked up about NATO countries, particularly Poland, but all Western European countries to one extent or another sending weapons and military equipment to Ukrainians over the border. They're saying, okay, well, you know, that's war, right? They sell weapons to whoever you want, but it's not very nice, but whatever, we'll deal with it. Although they have said, and this is why this article, if you put it back up there, Scotty, this is why this article uh, was in the media, uh, that the Russians have said that those supply lines providing weapons to Ukraine from NATO countries are fair game as far as the Russians are concerned. If they see any, if they get a chance... Uh, to attack any of those supply lines, they're going to do it. And NATO responds by saying, they better not do it. Or else. Or else, as, his, as the byline or the, the, the subheading says, NATO territory would trigger self-defense clause. Although he said an, an attack against NATO territory. So, like, if a, if a truck with Stinger missiles or whatever, NATO missiles on weapons, crosses the border from Poland into Ukraine one kilometer across the border into Ukraine, if they blow, if the Russians blow that up there, if they attack that supply line there, one kilometer into Ukraine, NATO's fine. If they if they attacked it one kilometer on the other side of the in the on Polish territory, suddenly that triggers a clause, and what NATO's at war with Russia? It's kind of bullshit you're dealing with yeah, here, like you know. Yeah. But on that point, in response to this, because this was a few days ago, where NATO Saltenberg says you better not do anything. Well, there's a there's a base in eastern Ukraine, uh, sorry, in, we in western Ukraine, near Lvov or Lviv or whatever you call it, 
a big city in, in, in Western Ukraine, outside of it, are about 25 kilometers over the border uh, in Ukraine from Poland. Uh, there's a big, it's called the International Peace and Security um, Training Facility or something like that. It's a fairly big training facility and it's where Ukrainian forces, including the Azov, the neo-Nazi Azov battalion, have been being trained in the use of all of these weapons, including the Stinger missiles and, the, uh, and, and different weapons, and trained by NATO personnel, i.e. personnel from America and from European countries. Now, last night, yesterday, if you just throw up the, put up the video, Scotty, the Lviv video, last night, that facility, where there were NATO personnel training Ukrainian forces, in the use of weapons, uh, was attacked by Russia. Local authorities are saying that eight cruise missiles hit it last night. There's a rather big hole. Yeah, so some pretty big ordnance there to, <laughs> to make that hole. Probably caliber. But, but those, um, you know, so that's how many? I think the report I heard was nine people were killed, fifty-seven injured, or something like that. Did you hear more? That's what I've heard from Southfront. Um, the Guardian reports that this missile strike, <coughs> according to the governor of the region, Lviv, killed thirty-five people. Right. But anyway, so some of them they're not going to they're not going to announce it probably because that would be. Well, it would, it would, they wouldn't want to admit it, and it might be uh, it might stir up Western governments and Western media. But it's possible that NATO personnel, i.e., military personnel from NATO countries, were killed or well, in, and or injured. The, the, the Lvov authorities say nine Ukrainian army servicemen and foreign instructors were killed. Right, foreign instructors. The, gar- the, Guardian, so that not- the Guardian is saying that it's killed Ukrainian forces and volunteers. Yeah, well, volunteers are, uh, are, from, are volu- from Britain and uh, the United States. But is that, not, is that not war with NATO? Apparently not. In the same way they can, uh, you know, NATO can send in weapons that are killing Russian military, uh, and that's fine. It's not war with NATO. Uh, Russia can... Attack training training facilities like this one and kill NATO personnel and it's not war with NATO. So it's all uh, the definition of war is you know is what we say it is basically. Yeah, and and it's an interesting point though actually that war has not actually been declared between Russia and Ukraine. Neither government have actually are in a state of war against each other officially. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talking about. <laughs> But we should do the British land thing because it's so funny. Uh, you probably heard a lot about British, you know, NATO mercenaries or mercenary fighters and stuff coming into Ukraine. People volunteering, like you just said, volunteers, but basically veteran military veterans from lots of different countries, supposedly 
being drafted in and paid by the Ukrainian government. Well, they're, yeah. well, they're be, it usually happens with military, private military contractor companies that are of which there are many and have been around for a long time or used in, in Iraq by the US. At one point in Iraq, there was, or for quite a long time in Iraq, 50% of the US military presence was private military contractors and it was more than that in Afghanistan. It was something like 70% of the, of the American military presence presence in Afghanistan was made up of private military contractors. And you know 50% that, in Iraq. their deaths, when they were killed by Iraqi insurgents, their deaths were not official U.S. No, of course not. War. But that's why they do it. That's why they do it. That's why they use private military contractors. Also because um, they, don't have the, they don't have the personnel in, in the military, either uh, combat-ready personnel actually <clears throat> to, to, to fulfill all the roles, basically, to... To, to populate the military uh, um, strategy or plan or intervention in a country that America doesn't have it anymore in that respect. So they, and of course, there are advantages, like you just said. It's like, well, those are it's all unaccountable, right? It's uh, it's off the books. Off the books. When, yeah. people, when people get killed, we don't have to say that uh, American soldiers were killed. It was just some private military contractor. Except the vast majority of them are former military personnel. Who are just being paid more? Well, the British government says um, by the government as well. That's how that's how vague the whole thing is. People don't understand. Private military, you can look up now private military like private military contractor companies, of which there are many on the web, advertising jobs in different places around the world, and they're going to pay you five hundred dollars a day, thousand dollars a day for going to some country and providing some service, and it's the private military contractor company that is paying you that money. As a as a as a mercenary or whatever they don't like being called mercenary, but let's call them mercenaries. Uh, where they where's the where's the company getting the money from? Where are they getting the money to pay the pay the mercs from? From the British and American governments, or from the Ukrainian government. In this case, the Ukrainian government has put out a, a, a call: we want as many volunteers, uh, mercenaries, in to help us fight the Russians, and we will pay you. So it's a contract with the private military con- between the private military con- company and the Ukrainian government. But then the question is, where does the Ukrainian government get its money from? U.S. Congress just passed a bill, uh, a, um, a budget basically that included fourteen billion dollars for Ukraine. Ukraine so ultimately, it's Ukraine just, is broke. It's fifty-seven billion dollars in debt. Right. So my point is that all of these private military, the, the, the mercenaries that are in these countries, are basically they are. They're not, they're not American soldiers, but they were American soldiers maybe six months ago. And they're not officially being paid by the U.S. government, but they are indirectly. So you see how, yeah. how, how, well, how almost like there's nothing to choose between them actually being – only in name are they not American military personnel, which means if they're killed, you're not at war with America. The, the lines were blurred a decade ago with um, the proxy warfare with the intervention in Libya. Indeed, it had an overt NATO first opening phase, but then it, then it quickly transformed into proxy warfare. Tens of thousands of uh, hired Egyptians, Qatar, well, not Qataris per se, Qatar was the organizing, the kind of center of organization for bringing in Pakistanis, Muslims from all over the world into Libya. And then a number of them were transferred then to Syria, and it's, just, it's, it's the same kind of thing that, that goes on still today. You know, the number one place, you know where they're all headquartered? 
these large military contractors. They're not actually mostly headquartered in the United States. Most of them are headquarters, have their headquarters in London. Yeah, in Europe, yeah. Um, in London, yeah. The Saudi war against Yemen. The media gets to ignore it in large part because there is no declaration of war, like you said. Right. It, and while when they do reference it, it is indeed Saudi Arabia plus the UAE against Yemen. Uh, even then, it's against, like, an, quote, illegal insurgency in Yemen, not official Yemen, whatever. That war is Western to such an extent that the command centers are staffed by NATO forces. Many of the boots on the ground came through British mercenary companies that pulled them in from South America, Muslim world, wherever, wherever whoever will go to do it uh, for the money. The bombs that are dropped, the planes that they're using, the positions they're instructed to take out are all, all are, Western. Are all Western. The head of the UAE Air Force is an Aussie. Yeah. Good eye, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's a joke. Um, the British government well, says, no, says quite a lot of active service military. Quite a lot means maybe a few dozen. But you know what? Those guys are going to do nothing. And, and, and there's a caveat to what I just said about uh, what we're talking about here in terms of private military uh, contractors, i.e. mercenaries, going in there for, and doing the job for money. It's not really going to happen in Ukraine. It's way too dangerous. Those guys are, it's not worth it to them. They got you know the message I mean? this week. Yeah. It wasn't just the airstrike last night. There were two of them massive blitzes on other yeah. airfields nearby. But there's not really a scope for them to do that. It's not this. It's not a walk in the park where, where you know, they're going to a very different situation. They, were, they, could, they could flood Afghanistan and, and Iraq because they were fully protected by a big uh, military infrastructure in those two countries and the support lines and all that kind of stuff. But this is very different. You might, yeah. You're going in on your own, basically, with a bunch of... With no air support. With no air support and uh, and and potentially a, the, the the allies that you're going in to support are potentially hostile to you. Like an example is put up the sun, actually. It's, it's, it's such a joke. It's a good example of, of the kind of, of at least some of the, the have-a-go heroes that are, that, uh, are deluded enough to go to Ukraine. Uh, this guy, it's in the sun. I know the sun's a tabloid, but it's kind of funny. It's called a British lion. I'm one of the first Brits to join Ukraine. They fight like lions, and I'm proud to take on Putin with them. It sounds like a really... Really uh, rousing uh, title there. I wonder what he got up to. So anyway, the story is this dude, ex-army medic, 34, he exchanged gunfire with the Red Army, <laughs> according to the son, the Red Army, we're back in Soviet times here, uh, <laughs> as it sought to seize an airport. And he was later beaten by guards in, ter- in terrifying interrogations. If you don't read any more, you'd think, okay, well, it didn't go too well, but whatever. So the story, if you just scroll down past the kind of the goss, the pictures, uh so Tools of the trade. I love this caption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he flew to Ukraine uh, at the start of last month. I, his mates were like, are you mad? And he went, no, nah, I'm a private military contractor. I'm going. So he set up home in Kiev and then linked up with foreign fighters ahead of the invasion. Scroll down. The world just blew up. You could hear rockets coming over buildings. In the distance, there were bright lights flashing all over the city in the Russian bombardment. It was completely surreal. <laughs> He then dashed out of his city centre flat in full body armour, carrying his AK-47. His unit quickly joined a detachment of Ukrainian troops heading to defend Hostomel Airport. Keep going. It was a very confusing situation. No one really knew what was going on. As we headed into the dark, I think it's fair to say I was scared. Anyone who goes into that position that isn't scared is a liar. When we arrived, it was quiet, but all of a sudden, the gates of hell opened up on us. A squadron of Russian jets fired down rockets before a fleet of attack choppers joined in. Um... 
so then basically Jason and 10 soldiers from the Georgian Legion, which is basically, yeah, Mercs, took cover, Havago heroes, took cover in Woodland. So they basically crapped their pants and ran into the woods. And he said, we got very close to getting whacked. I never experienced firepower like that. Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan was totally different. The Russians are a conventional modern army. Uh, yeah. Um, so, however, Jason and an American pal were later arrested by Ukraine. By Ukrainian agents. Sorry, by Ukrainian agents. So the, the, the interrogation that he had was the hands of Ukrainian forces who were looking for Russian saboteurs and thought he was one. My mate and I had a day, day sack with two walkie-talkies and a small piston, pistol. We had them for genuine reasons, such as, as, such as as if the comms network went down. But the Ukrainians got suspicious. He was taking the security base and his head was slammed down by one of the guards. A different guy came in and I could tell by his kit that he was in an elite unit. He had cable ties and two hoods and I thought, shit, this is real. <laughs> they kept shouting Russian at me. These are Ukrainian forces. kept shouting Russian at me, but obviously I said it was English. They whacked me around the head, whacked me around eight or nine times. I had quite a bad concussion and was bleeding heavily. <laughs> he looked at his phone. Uh, eventually, they were released because they realized that these were couple of doofuses and he uh, joined hundreds of thousands on, of refugees basically on trains to live and then he fled the, fled to the Polish border uh, before getting on a train to Warsaw uh, from there he flew back to the UK and said I'm never doing that again so um, that's an example of the kinds of people when you see this like r- these rousing headlines of you know volunteers and pictures and videos of guys leaving the UK or leaving France or leaving wherever or leaving America even going to help in the Ukrainian fight for freedom this is what is awaiting them. The Russians are just going to, you know, if they're in the wrong place, they're going to get killed. And if the Ukrainians, if they get moved away from the group of Ukrainians who actually know that they're With there them. to support them, they're screwed because some yeah. other Ukrainians will see them and say, you're a Russian saboteur, we're going to take you and beat the crap out of you. Yeah. So good luck, which is why, basically my point is, there's not many, them, not many of them actually going and engaging directly in, in any hostilities. There's a lot of people there in that centre that was bombed last night in that uh, training facility and there's a lot of top level uh, American and European uh, intel types providing um, electronic signals intelligence you know on Russian movements to the Ukrainians you know at at a kind of proper level where they're actually aiding the, the Ukrainians to fight against the Russians giving them the only thing they can give them other than weapons which is information from satellites and, and different... Uh, oh, yeah, the, the Ukrainians have no eyes and ears. Yeah, They're 100% reliant on, on NATO. NATO drones, American drones, uh, picking up information. Satellites. AWACS planes, all that kind of stuff. So uh, to the extent that they can provide it. So um, yeah. Oh, here's an interesting one. Scotty, tell us a story about the... What happened to our satellite connection on the very first day that it's all erupted? Oh, yeah. So it was uh, February 24th, and uh, our, we have a satellite internet connection. It's just for – it's formerly our only internet connection, but we decided to keep it as a backup. So it's actually through NordNet, and uh, I was telling the story to some people, and they got confused. So the way that it works is – you have a company, in this case Nordnet, and they actually use some other company's satellite. In this case, it was Viasat. But the satellite used to belong uh, mostly to Utelsat. So uh, in April 2021, 
Viasat owned like 50% of this satellite, and they bought the remaining amount from Utelsat. So it was formerly based in, I think, Germany. Mm. And now uh, Viasat, which is based in, I think, Carlsbad, California, they actually fully own the satellite now. So there was an interesting article that said that the the NSA is now working in cahoots with Ukrainian intelligence, which is pretty funny, uh, to see if they can figure out what happened because our modem, the satellite modem, actually died. And I thought, like, the power brick had died, you know? So I was investigating, and so they were very sort of... uh, they, the the company wouldn't tell us anything. Right. You know, they sent me an email and they said, "Oh, it, the, we we think it might have been like a cyber attack." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Okay, but can you give us more information?" Like weeks have gone by, obviously. And then a couple of days ago, they said, "Oh, uh, well, Viasat tells us we need to replace all end user modems." Mm. They got fried. So they like they got fried or something. So and I thought, "Oh, well, that's why our modem isn't working. It's not the power break. It's like something happened." So finally, I found this article yesterday posted like four hours before I went to bed, where they say, ah, NSA working with Ukrainian intelligence, and apparently Viasat, uh, most people probably don't realize this, but when you have a satellite, uh, they're very expensive, so you have to launch it up into space, so it's never like single use. Right. They're very often like dual or triple use. Mm. So uh, they said point blank that this Viasat satellite is used also for military communications, and it not only covers many areas in Europe, but also... Ukraine. Uh-huh. So apparently... Russia as, hacked our satellite. As far as I can guess, basically what happened is the Ruskies managed to somehow like update firmware or something on the modems via the satellite, something like that, or somebody did, that basically borked all the modems on the day of the invasion so the communications with Ukraine would be cut off. Hmm. That's, Here's that's very the, interesting. interesting theory. Here's something that makes me wonder whether or not it was the Ruskies. I've just sent you an article. It's from CNN, um, published yesterday. They're a bit perplexed over CNN because, as the headline says, Russia's cyber offensive against Ukraine has been limited so far. Experts are divided on why. U.S. officials warned that a wave of debilitating cyber attacks could accompany Russia's war in Ukraine. So far, they haven't materialized. There have been several hacks of Ukrainian organizations, but no reports yet of the sort of high-impact cyber attacks on transportation or electric infrastructure that some feared. That's different, though, than... That, that's that's on, on against Ukraine in order to disable. But that would be tantamount to doing what the U.S. did in shock and awe, which is wipe out the electricity, you know, it's, it's by, by other means, you'd be wiping out the electricity supply, uh, you know, the, probably the water sanitation facilities, etc. And that's an attack on the civilian population. And that's why. And, and CNN are so effing tarted that they can't understand, basically is what they're saying, they can't understand why Russia hasn't done what we did and what we would have done, right. which is attack the civilian infrastructure. And they still don't get it. And they still don't get it in terms of why Russia is, is, is slowly advancing. It's to prevent civilian casualties and to, to prevent hardship to the civilian population, to win the hearts and minds, as America like, thought it was going to do in, in Iraq, by blowing the shit out of the place. Right. Russia is actually doing that. What Scotty's talking about is something separate, probably, in terms of disabling military, high-level military kind of communications 
satellite communications between the West and in some way or other between the West and, and, and Ukraine. Right. And it may have been more than just that satellite that they, that they did that to. That's, we have just that experience because that's the satellite we're hooked up to and we're collateral damage, right? But uh, the point of it was not to take us out. The Russians didn't. <laughs> no, of have course a go not. At us, Neil. Uh, it was, although maybe we can make that case on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was, it, I mean, the plausible explanation is that it was had some um, benefit to the Russians in terms of disabling communications between... But communications within Ukraine and outwards to the West yeah. have been <clears throat> fine this well, whole time. Well, initially, no. Journalists are embedded to some extent or another, and they're sending their reports home. Um, Ukrainians can still communicate. The mobile phone network still working. That requires satellite interface. Yeah. Well, that was, remember, not long after that happened, uh, um, what do you call him? Um, Elon Musk set up a bunch of Starlinks for, uh, to, to supply Ukrainian, to reactivate or give Ukraine uh, internet, internet. internet access again, you know, which happened, if you look at that, Scotty, if you, uh, at the timeline of that, it happened just a few days after uh, this event that Scotty was talking about. Right. <clears throat> I think it's probably more likely that it's not just like, you know, I mean, we would think, oh, our satellite internet went down. That's what happened in Ukraine. No, I yeah. Think, yeah, I think it's obviously more like... It wasn't about taking... It's out. like the dual-use kind of thing. Yeah, for sure, yeah. It was military probably, no? But that's technically that's very interesting because the question is, well, why are you... Yeah, how... It's like, why would you... Like, let's say somebody sends something up to the satellite and it beams it down and it borks everyone's modem, the radio modem. Well, why would that happen? Like, because if it's a dual-use satellite and you have, like, military channels, it would be... You know, like, are they actually stupid enough that they use the same, the same type of transmitters and protocols and everything as like civilian internet? Yeah, probably. So it's mm. probably something it you know yeah. in terms of like coordinating military efforts and all that kind of stuff, like mm -hmm. some specific thing. Assuming that it you know was the Russians that did it or yeah, but okay. interesting anyway. It's very, very interesting. But yeah, that, that's been a. I suppose the more general point is like for years now they've been talking about cyber attacks mm -hmm. and it's, they've accused Russia of commi uh, committing to direct cyber attacks that affect that shut down that pipeline, the massive pipeline that runs from like Louisiana and Texas all the way to the U.S. Northeast. Two, was it a year ago or two? Initially, they went full in full war. You know, Russia did this to us. Biden then actually made a statement. He said, no, they didn't. And they just pulled the brakes on the whole claim. But it wasn't the first one. They go back like several years. Yeah. Someone is doing specific things to Western infrastructure, passing it off as Russian or Chinese, right. and then dialing down the propaganda. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah. What the hell landed in Zagreb last week? That was uh, an old... <laughs> the Yukis were resorting to an old uh, Soviet-era 1970s drone. I can't remember the name of TU something or other. Um, that was a drone that basically went off course. And it doesn't say a lot about NATO uh, surveillance that it was able to fly or, across Hungary, all of Hungary, and uh, and into the Czech Republic, or maybe yeah, in the, and, in, into Zagreb into, into the Czech, Czech Republic, park. yeah, and then it just no it Croatia, Croatia, sorry, yeah, and then it uh, ran out of steam. Uh, it was an old like unreliable. 1970s Yuki. It can't uh, be directed in, in the air. It has a single arc, so someone yeah. had to aim well, from yeah. Ukraine for Zagreb. You're talking about. Kind of conscripts, you know. You're talking about you're not talking about the sharpest knives in the drawer, you know, um, in the Ukrainian military, you know. What do you think about um, <clears throat> all the other things that have been developing war-wise 
around the periphery. Um, got Israel and Syria increasing airstrikes. Um, Israel specifically to Syria. Um, Armenia, Azerbaijan flared up again mm-hmm. last week. Um, last Bosnia, Iraq. Serbia tensions. EU sending in extra reinforcements because, of course, there are massive Serbian enclaves in Bosnia that were never happy with this settlement from the 1990s. Saudi Arabia, okay, that's been ongoing for a while, but they've definitely increased bombings in Yemen, even between North and South Korea. And last night, Baghdad. Last night, was it Baghdad? I think it was Erbil. Oh, sorry, Erbil. In Northern. Erbil. Um, I've got a video Erbil, of that. Erbil. Iranian um, ballistic missile strike against, well, this is what's interesting. It's been reported as against an airfield. Mm-hmm. The Iranians, in their statement, said it's Israel's strategic center for the whole of northern Iraq. Yeah. Um, Ah. Yeah, supposedly American base shared by... Israelis, in response to, like you were just saying, continued Israeli attacks on Iranian slash Syrian uh, yeah. resources two, in, in, in Syria. Two Iranian soldiers were killed in Damascus airstrikes last mm-hmm. week. And they said explicitly, um, Al Jazeera reports the Iranian military statement, any repetition of attacks by Israel will, will be met with response. this kind of response. Yep. Yeah, who knows what what can kick off? I mean, there's obviously what's going on on in Ukraine is 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 front and center, you know. But obviously, little things like that can kick off in different areas. And I mean, down down the line, the future. I mean, the the thing that concerns me the most is, or that I see kind of looming as a, as a distinct possibility, is uh, the crazies in Washington and their allies in Europe and, and NATO countries continuing to supply. Um, Ukrainian Ukrainian forces with weapons from um, from Poland primarily, um, and Russia responding as it did la- yesterday by you know attacking those sites where they're being trained in Ukraine and, and shown how to use weapons in Ukraine, which is direct military aid to you know Russia's enemies basically in the war, and if if Russia stops that happening on Ukrainian territory, then I don't. I don't expect the crazies in in the West to to just leave it at that. They'll start doing the same thing on Polish territory, daring Russia in a certain sense to attack, as we mentioned earlier, Stoltenberg saying that if any NATO countries yeah. are, are attacked, even one bullet, then that means it'll trigger Article 5 or Clause 5. Um, uh, an attack against one is an attack, attack against, against all. all, and then NATO will be at war with Russia. Now, I don't expect them to stop that, and expect them to go kind of like you know head to head in a certain sense with Russia and dare them to do that. But I don't think Russia would back down if, in this conflict, there's a significant amount of uh, opposition forces being uh, armed and, and trained on Polish territory just over the Polish border, and they're coming immediately into Europe, Ukraine to attack Russian forces. Then that becomes fair game, and I don't. I, I the way the bravado that if you want to call it that, that uh, or the, the um, I don't know what the term is. Um, it's not arrogance, but it's more like uh, 
the 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 refusal to take any shit <laughs> that Russia has been displaying and displaying and actually launching this invasion, I I would imagine that they wouldn't stop at you know attacking despite what Stoltenberg and NATO have said that they would attack uh, legitimate targets within Poland and it would be Poland's fault and NATO's fault for for basically facilitating attacks on Russian troops from their territory You're, that makes you part of the war uh, so it could spill over definitely that's a definite possibility I think that it could spill over where it would go from there I don't know I don't expect it to go into uh, there'd be a lot of a lot of hysteria a lot of screaming a lot of headlines you know uh, in, in the western media alarmist headlines but I don't think anything would come of it but it would freak a lot of people out yeah and it would give people the answer to whether or not NATO would actually exactly. stand up to Russia. Be the answer would be no, toothless, which yeah. would be a message for the long term to consider in certain Eastern European capitals. Yeah. Hang on a second. We put everything in the bank on the US. For you to defend us. Hammering defend Moscow if but that's an example they of, won't. That's an example of how it'll fall apart. The narrative right now is that Russia made a big mistake, miscalculation. If they thought they were going to undermine NATO, they've actually uh, reinforced NATO unity by attacking Ukraine. Yeah, but what For if, three weeks well, what, so far. Exactly. But what if they actually, in, in response to what I just said, NATO arming and funding and training <coughs> uh, Ukrainian forces on their territory, Russia attacks those bases, those facilities, and NATO does nothing. What does that do to NATO morale? What does that do to NATO unity? Hmm. It can flip on a dime. So, COVID. COVID. What? What is that? Did I send Is that you? a code word from Ukraine? Yeah, you forgot about COVID, didn't you? Um, I think it's... Do you have the Twitter... Um, Ashi... Maybe I didn't send it to you. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, I can spell it out, but I'll... I'll, I'll just show it here. We'll we'll put some links, obviously, in the uh, in the description of this, so you can check all this yourself. This is just a, a doc. I don't know who he is. A cardiologist, internist, Jew, Zionist, mystic, Japanese antiquities, Rumi fan. He's basically he's a doctor, but he's just one one person that I picked to to highlight this. But this week, freedom of informa- freedom of information request revealed. As part of this whole thing about Pfizer keeping all their uh, trial data and stuff uh, closed for 75 years and then that was overturned, basically Freedom of Information Request has revealed some documents and the documents show that within the first 90 days of the rollout of the vaccine before they had FDA approval that Pfizer was seeking, Pfizer hid and wanted to hide for 75 years the fact that within those 90 days of those of the first rollout, which was still part of their trial, right? Uh, people have to remember that. Uh, within 90 days of the rollout, they had 1,223 fatalities and 42,000 adverse reactions from their vaccine that they wanted to hide in the first 90 days. Right. That was from their own, from Pfizer's own studies, right? That's nothing to do with VERS or VERS reporting, whatever. This was people, yeah. uh, this was uh, reporting and follow-ups that Pfizer was doing itself uh, on on vaccine recipients. And do you know how many people were in the trial? Uh, it's in their... I don't know if it's in there somewhere. Uh, maybe it's, it might be at that point, maybe all of those people in the trial, uh, relevant cases... 
29,914 plus 1039, about 40,000. So you had a 1 in 40 chance of dying? More than a 1 in 40 chance of dying, yeah, 40,000. Okay, well, that sounds horrific. Um, Obviously, this has people like alarmed all over the place, but... This is this is this is like stuff coming out post COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So, is anyone going a, to uh, on the is, is anyone of, going to be prosecuted on the basis of that? Is two point five percent fatality rate from the vaccines? What was the fatality rate of COVID? Now, overall, when you look back on it, it's uh, about one percent. Right. So what I mean, you're saying is, <coughs> if I say this, <laughs> no, we won't trouble. say it. Pfizer said it themselves. We'll let it speak for itself. Here's another interesting one. Remember Austria mandated that everyone get the vaccine? Or beginning this week, I believe, mid-March, they would get fines of up to 4,000 euros per person per trimester. So up to 16,000 euro fines a year. Monday, 9th of March, Wednesday, 9th of March. Headline, Austria scraps COVID-19 vaccine mandate. And they did so <clears throat> something like four days, five days before the regime of fining people would have begun. Mm-hmm. Was that the plan all along? Who knows? But it's again speaks to the extreme lengths they would go to to force people to get a vaccine to, that had two point five percent. They, will, they won't agree with that use of the word force to induce, to scare, to threaten, to use, to play with their heads. Those fines probably were never going to be implemented. No, <sighs> to enforce, manipulate, scare, cajole, threaten people to take a vaccine and in the case of Pfizer that had a 2.5% fatality rate for a respiratory virus that if you were a healthy person had actually a you know 0. 0.02% fatality rate here's another one that will make your Just head explode um, headline from the Daily Mail this week a kind of a revelation it must have taken them a while to figure this out. Headline, did, did flawed PCR tests convince us COVID was worse than it really was? Headline goes on, Britain's entire response was based on results, but one scientist says they should have been axed a year ago. Mm, that's what we were saying. Interesting. I think we got banned, probably, for saying that. Yep. But... It's oh. all good now. Let me see the chat. It was the number of cases, not the total number of vaccines. From what I noticed in that tweet before it disappeared. Um, oh, relevant cases, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Relevant cases. So my 2.5% um, is wrong. Well, I mean, the thing about it is we don't know we can't draw any conclusions at this point because Pfizer still is hiding and holding an awful lot of information on, and there has, you know, the number of 
no one has ever done those studies. I mean, we know that's something that's been talked about repeatedly uh, over the past couple, well, over the past year, let's say, or more, uh, that nobody is doing f- proper follow up of people who are. Uh, having serious reactions to the vaccines and who are potentially dying from the vaccines. There's no proper um, analysis or investigation of those cases. Um, you have to you have to do it on a... You just have to look at all of the, the overall global picture and reports. I mean, it's very hard. It's very hard. No one has, has come together. No authority or anybody with the resources come together and is maybe even able to come together uh, or to bring together all of the people who received vaccine and then look objectively at all of the possible <clears throat> fatalities, post-vaccine fatalities and post-vaccine adverse effects. Um, but, yeah, so the relevant cases, the number of 40,000 was relevant cases, uh, and of those relevant cases, if you were a case, basically, as in... Um, all selected characteristics of all cases received during the reporting interval. So cases of people who had any reaction whatsoever, I presume that means, um, and of that number, 1,223. Um, so of the people who had some kind of a, some kind of a reaction of any, of any kind of any, past a certain point or reaching a certain threshold of severity or whatever, of those, 2.5% died. Um, how many people... How, so this is just a small sh- small sh- snapshot. It's yeah. not uh, indicative of the amount of people who actually got a vaccine, uh, of which there are many. Well, within the first three months, I don't know, it wasn't that many because they start off with very elderly people and stuff. Certainly it was in the millions or tens of millions. But again, the number of... This is Pfizer coming up with their own data of following mm. their own select group of, again, 40,000 people. But certainly there were tens of millions of people in the first three months, I suppose, who got the vaccine. But who was doing a follow-up with them? That would have been the, the government maybe should have done the follow-up with them, right? Government should have been actively looking at each of those people who got the vaccine and checking if they died what can, or if they, and if they had some kind of reaction and then reporting on it. But you're not allowed to do that because get the damn vaccine and shut up. <clears throat> so there you go. Um... One last thing, it brings us back to Ukraine, but it also speaks to something you were pointing out earlier. It's like the kind of um, something that we all need to consider on any issue is that when it's highly emotional, as you experience it, you've got to step back and ask yourself, you know, is the intensity of this thing accurate is it a reflection of reality you know mm-hmm. in 2019 there were major protests in venezuela now they were amplified in the sense of the public's perception of them in the west um it was westerners were made to believe that it was a clear majority of venezuelans wanted their previously democratically elected leader maduro out and the west organized a kind of a an at-a-distance coup d'etat where they just simply said, we can't get to him, though they did try to assassinate him with a drone at a speech, but they failed. We can't get to him, but we're going to pretend Maduro, Nicolas Maduro, is not the legitimate leader of, of Venezuela. And instead, this guy called Juan Guaido is. So it was 
bizarre attempt to just regime change using the pure power of the mind <laughs> and the mass manipulation of people. It was doomed to fail. We reported on it at the time. We kind of mocked it because, well, it was it was completely farcical in its premise. It was largely, it was in part organized, in fact, by the Trudeau government through its the group they set up an alternative to the organization of the Americas called the um, Lima Group. Anyway, here we are. That's ancient history now. That was three years ago, January 2019. And the United States government, three days ago, sent a delegation to Caracas to negotiate for Venezuelan oil to be resupplied once again to the refineries all along the southern U.S. coast, which are actually geared towards receiving heavy crude oil from Venezuela, because they've just said, well, we're going to start refusing Russian crude. Shoot, okay, let's find alternatives. I know. Let's go back to Venezuela. In the process, thereby re-legitimizing the recognition of Nicolas Maduro as the legitimate leader of Venezuela, and they're currently in the process of bartering the lifting of sanctions against Venezuela in return for opening mm. trade with Maduro Senegal. to make up for the, the kind of shimmy things around. And, you know, for, my point is that for these people, all's fair in love and war. They don't give a shit. There's no hard feelings. They don't. You know, when we try to overthrow them. you, it's nothing personal, like. You know, we recognized, we delegitimized de you officially as the president, even though you had been elected, and we shunted this guy in and said he's the leader. But and confiscated your gold reserves. Yeah, in that London, was, that was nothing personal. Like, don't take it hard. Like, don't, there's no hard feelings. Like, let's just do do business. You know, we might try and assassinate you next week, but you know, between now and then, we'll do do a bit of business, right? Yeah. And people are saying, That's well, a level of pathology at the. Uh, uh, in positions of power in the West in particular around the world, but in uh, the world in general. Yeah, I've had it asked me, oh, but what does this mean, Neil? Does this mean that Maduro is going back on his loyalties to Moscow and the East? Is he betraying the cause, so to speak? It's, it's, not, it's not even that. Maduro's going to do whatever he can to get... Remember what I just mentioned before. The foreign exchange reserves, specifically the, the actual hard gold that uh, is Venezuelan, nationally owned gold was shipped from New York to London for safekeeping because yeah. the illegitimate regime couldn't be trusted to spend its people's own money properly because right. it might use it for terrorism blah 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 right. that's what they said three years ago mm -hmm. so he will, he's being held hostage so if he can have some of the hostage conditions lessened he will do that yeah. it's not to save his own butt per se it's for his country's sake and speaking of gold They've done the same thing with Russia, but they were Russia at least yeah. had half, about half, or a bit yeah. more than half of its foreign exchange reserves in Russia. But the other half are held by central banks in other parts of the world, yeah. in, 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 in Europe and in, yeah. in, in the USA. And they've frozen those, which means that, you know, I don't know what quantity that is, but there's, just, you know... It's maybe about 300 a, billion. Yeah, but there's maybe 100 or 200 billion worth of actual gold Russian that was bought by Russia that is being held in, in, you know, and that was the way you do it. You know, other, other central banks hold on to it were in place where you buy it instead of shipping it around the world or whatever. And I, don't, I still don't understand why Russia didn't try and repatriate that, except that they just would have got told no 
uh, you know, if over the past year or whatever, you know, when they were increasing their stocks, um, they so, were they were re- repatriating some of it. Yeah, but not all. But of it, not right? all of it. Yeah, and they didn't get around to getting all of it, and that so that's frozen basically. So it's not available to the Russian economy, to the Russian to the Russian central bank or the Russian government to um, to try and offset the, the impact of sanctions. You know, but they have half of it, I suppose. So it's better than nothing. Yeah, I, I doubt it was an <clears throat> oversight on their part. I'd no, say it's more that they structurally couldn't. Yeah, weren't able to. In the same way, to do with no. trade balances abroad, and you have to keep a certain quantity of it elsewhere. Yeah, um, I remember sure, yeah. that surplus. That surplus, most countries don't have anything like that. They're in debt to their eyeballs, right. and they, they're all part of this kind of... Uh, the the golden road that leads to Oz, which is you know the dollar system. Right. Russia's substantially not on that golden road. This is the final push of it off. It's going to start having to create its own now. Um, as uh, like I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, Michael Hudson is a bit surprised that it's taken Russia being pushed out for them to create it. But maybe that's. I don't think people. I'm sure Hudson himself does fully appreciate it, but. Most people have no idea. Like, you know, I've I've seen I've seen in response to the kind of anti anti imperial criticism um, that people who are at least pointing out the hypocrisy of the United States, you know, they're not necessarily supporting Russia what they're doing in Ukraine. But when it's when they point out, hang on a second, look at all the wars the U.S. started. The counter argument to that is, come on. Objectively, over 80 years, it's bloody peaceful. There's far, it, it, the global economy works. The, the whole modern system works. It's, it's, it's overwhelmingly been a time of peace. That's true, objectively. What people don't appreciate is that the hidden means by which domination works mm-hmm. most of the time. It's in finance and it's in information. Mm-hmm. They, they indeed had a very, very well-run, well-oiled, no pun intended, system because they didn't need to resort to violence most of the time. The threat was enough. Mm-hmm. 300 military bases abroad was enough. Um, 20, you know, battle cruiser complete with, um, uh, what are they called? Where they can launch the ships, uh, launch... Uh, missiles. Missiles and uh, aircraft carriers mm. all over the world. No one could compete with that because no one could finance that because the U.S. had stitched up a finance system that would endlessly supply their ability to create the military mm-hmm. stick mm-hmm. over everyone else, you know? Except Russia now has had enough of it. Russia's had enough, and it had to think strategically for 30, 40 years about how it would do it. It was never going to be able to create a comparable size quantity-wise. It was going to have to say, well... Look at our position. What could we do to counter each of the threats that are posed, whether it's satellite-based weapons, sea-based weapons, or land-based? And so they did. They came up with incredibly ingenious means, new rocket science that the U.S. Basically. does not have. Mm-hmm. They're now catching up with the kind of well to achieve uh, at least achieve a, a parity and, and a, an offensive capability and a defensive capability. That means that the, that the U.S. couldn't use their 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 nuclear option to threaten Russia anymore, that it was parity at that level, and then Russia was free to, to, to operate in the way that it's operating in Ukraine and, and elsewhere, you know what I mean? But, uh, but again, and that, again, that gets back to the reason why they've come into Ukraine, because the US over the past number of years had made a decision that they were going to take Russia down, because Russia was growing to the point where it 
it, it has been, it was, and, and, and is now still threatening US global he- hegemony mm. and America. That's their ultimate red line. And it's. Uh, and and the, the proof is in the Western reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Hysterical. It's, it's, as I said last week, it's Russia de Lenda Est. It must be wiped from the pages of time. Mm. Like, delete all archives, everything. Eliminate the place, you know. Mm. They can't. They, they can't do it in actuality because of the parity, the strategic mm-hmm. balance that Putin has created over the last 30 years. So they can't physically do it. So they're going to do it kind of psychologically. I wish it was we're so. all going to imagine, and we're, we are to all to join the US in its imaginings. YouTube Imagine hopefully world. won't ban this video because we're guilty of not joining the United States government in its imagining that Russia with, just no longer fucking exists. A world without Russia, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, no, it does. It does exist. It's 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 still there. Sorry. Yeah, whether you like it or not. And they're in, they're in continuing efforts to to delete it. They're continuing delusional, uh, crazy efforts to delete it are going to have serious repercussions for the rest of the world, and they may bring the whole thing down as a result of their insane pathological drive to remain top dog in the world forever, and everybody must bow down to us. And that's just not the way the world works. Well, world can work like that for a while, but you're not. Nobody is able to maintain that with, with you know, natural development, and natural progress. It was never going to be possible for America to remain, remain, you know, under normal circumstances, under just under a natural order. It was never going to be able to maintain that imbalanced, unipolar world. And as other countries, like peer competitors, as they call them, start to push back, America freaks out and effectively starts to engage in a kind of attitude of, if I can't have it, no one can. Even if that's not explicitly on their minds, that's what they will achieve if they continue. Hopefully they won't achieve it too soon because next week we'll be back with another show detailing all the subsequent um, madness and craziness. You know, it may be more of the same, but I'm we sure... we probably be- try and analyse the economic effects current and likely in the next few months to a year that are going to come from this. Yeah, for, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And the kind of seamless transition from, uh, oh, the war in Ukraine to gas prices doubling. Yeah, as Putin to food himself, shortages. And food shortages, holy moly. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have a go at that next week and see what comes out of it, but uh, on whatever else happens between now and then. So, yeah. Well, they'll leave it there for this week's folks. Thanks for um, watching, listening, chatting. We appreciate it. Don't forget, forget to subscribe. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, next week with another show. Hope you can join us. Until then, have a good one. See you next week. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.